thank you so much, worship choir. And I think I'm going to start using uh, the line that our, our friend from Haiti said, you know, I give you my greetings and I'll do my best to keep it short. I really like that. <laughs> if we haven't now, yeah, no applause, please. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Adam, and it's my joy to be the pastor here, uh, senior pastor at our church. And uh, this is just the subject I love, today's scripture today. And so I hope that comes out and, and that you're left here both challenged and encouraged uh, from our study of God's word together. I wonder, have you ever been in a scenario where you had so many options it was just overwhelming to pick one. This happens to me a lot when I use uh, the music streaming service Spotify. Any Spotify users? Mm-hmm. Spotify has available to stream over 80 million songs. That's a lot. And so what I, what, what I find happens to me is that rather than going the exhausting exercise of finding an album to listen to, I just end up listening to like the same 15 songs. And Spotify actually makes a playlist for you of songs that you listen to a lot. It's called On Repeat. So I wanted to show you my list so you can judge it. Uh, you know, in Total Pastor Move, I've got a Christian song is the first song. Got some gospel on there. But I got some Brian Adams, and we round out with a little Willie Nelson. So I feel good about uh, what's on repeat for me. But what, I, what I've found is when I have access to all the music... I find myself listening to less music, right? Because of all the choices there are, I, I just end up not wanting to, I don't want to mess with it. I don't want to think about it. And I think we can easily feel this way when it comes to all the problems in the world. This concept's called the paradox of choice. When you have so many choices that it becomes difficult to make a decision, right? We have, we have so many choices, which we think is a great thing, but it can actually feel like a negative thing and like a burden that you have so many things to pick from. You can't possibly pick just one. And I think we can have the same mindset when we look at our world. There's so many problems. How could we possibly make a difference? Right? The war in Ukraine, hurricanes striking our coastlines and in Puerto Rico, natural disasters all over the world for that matter, hunger, income inequality, the fentanyl crisis, domestic violence, divorce, racism, climate change, the chaos Debbie mentioned in Haiti. And I haven't even scratched the surface on our list. It could go on and on and on. With all the problems in the world, it can feel crushing to consider how one could possibly have an impact on anything. And so it's easier just to retreat and go into our shell and, and just kind of check out and, and, and take advantage of our endless entertainment options, to not have to have our mind on those things, to not be bothered by the paradox of choice when it comes to being for our world. What I hope we'll discover together today as we study God's word is that sometimes following Jesus means staying home. In our scripture today, we're going to meet a man whose life was changed by Jesus, and he was ready to follow him anywhere in the world. We'll be once again in the book of Mark, uh, where we were last week also, Mark is one of the four biographies of Jesus called the Gospels. And the word gospel simply means good news. And so these four collections of writings are the Gospels, the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Jesus, who uh, lived briefly, died violently, and rose unexpectedly. Last week's scripture 
was also from the book of Mark. And Jesus was in and around the Sea of Galilee. We're going to see that again. It's kind of a main theme of the book of Mark. Last week, Jesus healed a man suffering from paralysis in this city called Capernaum. And this week, Jesus will heal a man possessed by demons on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So we're going to go through over 20 verses today. So buckle up. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. First question, who's they? That's Jesus and his traveling party, probably his disciples, along with some other folks. What lake are they referring to? They're referring to the Sea of Galilee. And this is kind of in the north central part of the map here. You know I love my old school Bible maps for you. And the region of the Gerasenes was the eastern part of the, of the lake. You can see a city there kind of on the bottom, towards the bottom right, called Geressa. That's where you get the name Gerasenes. That whole region was called the region of the Gerasenes. And this entire area in and around near the Sea of Galilee was called the Decapolis. The Decapolis. Deca meaning ten and polis meaning city. A catchier way to say it is the ten towns. The ten towns. More on this later. We'll return to the concept of the Decapolis. But that gives you a concept of where this is taking place. Verses 2 through 6 tell us when Jesus got out of the boat... A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. There's a lot to cover here, which we simply don't have time for if I'm going to keep it short. Right? We could spend weeks studying the concept of what it meant for this man to, to be possessed by an impure spirit. I mean, there's a lot to go into there. We see other things worthy of examination. Like apparently, this man was given super strength by these spirits. He was tearing chains. No one could, could keep him bound. And so the man being tormented by demons is terrorizing the countryside. And I think it's fascinating that he's the one who approaches Jesus and recognizes his authority. He appears to initiate it. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. So it's unclear who began the conversation but it's referring to something Jesus said a moment ago. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again to not send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So after commanding the impure spirits to leave the man, uh, Jesus learns the name of the spirits, that they're, they're legion. Legion was a, a Roman unit of soldiers numbering 6,000. So that's referencing the many demons that inhabited this man. Now, how all this works, I have no idea. I don't know. They don't, you know, chart that out for you in seminary. So I hope that's not disappointing, but I don't know all the ins and outs of this. 
But scripture tells us that the spirits are sent out of the man into the pigs who rush into the sea and drown. Now, this is, isn't this an odd thing to read about? This is weird to sit here. I mean, when Jeremy first read the scripture, you're like, pigs, what are, what are we talking about? Imagine witnessing it. This is weird to read about, much less experience in person. And so, you, as you can imagine, the people that were there on the scene were very disturbed. These are verses 14 through 17. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They saw this infamous man changed, and then they were afraid. I have to assume that when they heard about the pigs, that made them mad. Does anyone like when pork price goes up? Anybody? Anybody like when? No. We haven't changed in thousands of years. Jesus is messing with the food supply, man. He's messing with the economics. And as we know, that'll get people fired up. Pork was unclean in the Jewish tradition, but Jesus is outside that realm. He's in Greek country, the Decapolis. And so when the people find out about the pigs being killed, they're furious. You got demons flying around. You got pigs drowning. They don't want to have anything to do with it. So they plead with Jesus to leave their region. And so now you've got Jesus and company getting pushed out. And this man who had just been healed, standing there. What's next for him? As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I think this interaction is significant. So you've got crowds of people begging Jesus to leave, and here this man is, in his right mind, it says, begging Jesus to let him come with him. I mean, he's ready to roll. I imagine him like with one foot in the boat, and I wore my stretchy jeans to church today. (laughs) He's more flexible than I thought. This is, this is the opposite of so many times in the New Testament when Jesus does the inviting for someone to follow him and they refuse. There was the one rich guy who Jesus says, you need to sell all your stuff and then follow me. And scripture tells us he went away sad for he had many possessions. Over and over, Jesus invites people to follow him and they don't take him up on it. This time, you have a man ready to go. And Jesus tells him to stay. Sometimes following Jesus means staying home. He's sent back where he's from. Verse 20 says, So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Last week uh, we did a funeral. And anytime I do a wedding, uh, you can... People tell me, oh, it's great when the, you can tell when the pastor knows the couple. Same is true at funerals. And so we had a preacher that had known this person just forever, longtime friends from Lathrop. And so I got to talk to the pastor afterwards, and they were kind of joking that, I mean, one of his friends said, ho, ho, if you would have known pastor before he got saved, whoo. 
right? He, they, they were like, you wouldn't have believed it. It's the same deal here. This man was infamous, and now people can tell something is different. I don't know what the right word is. I, I, I guess odd is what I'll pick. I find it odd sometimes, the details we get in the Bible, and sometimes the ones we wish we had but don't. Like, I think it's odd that we know the name of the demons infecting this man, but we don't know his name. I don't think that would have been that hard, so I don't understand why we don't know this man's name. But we do know that he is sent back home to the Decapolis. Remember the Decapolis, the ten towns, Philadelphia, named after the cheese, Garessa, Gadara, Pelham, Diem, Raphana, Scythopolis, Hippos, Canatha, and Damascus. Now, one of the things I try and tell you all, free tip from me, if you come across a line like this, if you read things quickly and confidently, people will assume you know what you're talking about. So you just act like you own the place and, oh yeah, mm. Gadara, of course. So the man is sent back to the 10 towns. We don't know his name ever, don't hear anything from him ever again. But maybe we do. Mark 7 tells us when Jesus returns to the region. Two chapters later, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, other geographical areas, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. So this time around, when Jesus comes back to the Decapolis, he gets a different reception, doesn't he? Previously, the people pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. That was in Mark 5. But now, they begged Jesus to place his hand. Look at that difference. I think we got a slide for this. He gets a much different reception. Beforehand, Jesus, leave us alone. They're trying to push him out. This time he comes and they come out to greet him, begging people to heal their sick. What's the difference? I have to conclude that the man, formerly known as Legion, went home and told the Decapolis how much the Lord had done for him. Sometimes following Jesus means staying home. I think in, in certainly American 20th and 21st century Christian tradition, we tend to honor people who leave home to go serve God as missionaries. And we should. But I think sometimes we confuse the concept as if you can't be a missionary at home. Debbie, who you heard from earlier in the service, is one of the most brave, most tough people I know. Uh, a year ago, she fulfilled a promise she made to go see one of our students graduate. Now, her friends in Haiti would tell her, we think you can come, we can help keep you safe. Everybody in America was telling her, you need to not go. And so we think, oh my gosh, I could never. Well, I'm here to give you some good news to say, that may not be for you. That may not be your calling, and that's all right. You know, we, we honor missionaries that go overseas. We need to start thinking, like students, your mission is your math class. It's right at home. You don't always have to go somewhere else to serve God. Sometimes following Jesus means staying home. And so when we think about the problems of the world, it can be overwhelming. It can be tempting to let the paradox of choice keep us paralyzed from doing anything. 
Maybe Jesus isn't calling us to solve world hunger or reconcile these problems just on, on these massive scales. Maybe Jesus is calling you to start right at home. For some of you, that means your family, and you've been doing that for a long time already. What if we returned to our same situation, but saw it with fresh eyes? My question for you is this, how can you be for your world? How can you demonstrate to people that you have their best interests at heart? I heard a good example of what it means to be for your world this last week. I was at a Chamber of Commerce board meeting and I heard an amazing example. Last week, Walnut Creek Winery opened in Holt, Missouri. And uh, by all accounts, it was a huge success. Tons of people there. One board member that had been noted that there was this giant bouquet of flowers and they, they saw that it was from Betty's Place, which is another restaurant in Holt. Isn't that interesting? How rare that another restaurant owner would celebrate a restaurant's opening and view it as an occasion to celebrate, not people to compete with. Add to that the fact that uh, the opening, grand opening, was so grand that they ran out of pizza boxes. Now you need to know, anytime I get the chance to put a pizza picture on the screen, I'm 100% going to do it. So the, the, they ran out of pizza boxes. Guess who they called? Betty's Place. She actually gave them pizza boxes from what in some perspectives could be seen as competition. She's helping them out. I couldn't believe it. So I had to get Betty on the phone. Some of y'all know this. Turns out Betty Garden of Betty's Place is the mayor of Holt. She loves Holt. She's, she's been born and lived there her whole life. And so I spoke to her because I wanted to compliment her that people were saying great things about her business because of her kindness. She was like, why is this dude calling me? And I also wanted to get her permission to share this in the sermon. And I tried to get permission from folks. You don't need to worry about me talking about you unless I ask first. She said, the more restaurants we have, the more people visit Holt. She's for her community. She told me she loves to see the community thrive. Betty is for Holt. So how can we be for our world starting at home? I think there's an infinite number of ways to do this. And, and don't, don't, please don't assume I think all of us are starting from zero, because I know we're not. Like when you're in the Lions Club, th this is part of that. When you help with Boy Scouts, you're doing it, mentoring young people. When, when, when you harvest food from the, the Garden of Eden, we're going to hear more about later. When you decide to be a leader and host a small group. I mean, I, I can make a giant list. And I just know from the people in here, you're doing this. You can do this at your job. By taking care of your employees. By caring about not, the, not just their productivity, but their well-being. Show them that you're for them. So there's an infinite number of ways to do this. And instead of being overwhelmed with all the problems the world faces, I suggest a positive way to look at it would be, hey, at least we'll never run out of stuff to do. Christians should never be bored. 
Always more to do, always more mission. Christians should never be bored. And so sometimes following Jesus means staying home. You may be doing more of this than you already knew. You just have to recast it the same way. I'd encourage you to start right where you are. Maybe your mission's been right at home all along. Maybe you just needed Jesus to send you back when you thought you were supposed to get in the boat and do it somewhere else. Now, I would be silly to not offer a small menu of options if you're looking for one. So if you need help escaping the paradox of choice, we have some ways at our church that we can help you before your world. Right here in our corner of Clay County and around Kansas City. Got a nice little collection of logos here for you to help us keep track. Hillcrest Hope is an organization that focuses on transitional housing to help move families from homelessness to self-sufficiency. We had their director speak during the offering a few weeks ago, and their percentage of people who have been through their program and are never homeless again is amazing. It's like in the 80s. Patch is an organization called Parents and Their Children. It's based out of Chillicothe, and it's partnering with mothers who are incarcerated and helping them keep connected with their children. We have very dedicated people to Patch. Whittier Elementary is our partner school that serves an incredibly diverse student body in Kansas City. And our church helps them uh, stock their, uh, their closet full of cool stuff. So like when the kids earn points and they can go shop, our church supplies the shop. Our church gets students uh, on their birthday, a little birthday cake kit and the whole thing. I could go on. Sweatshirts at Christmas, dinners for the staff and, and teachers. The Garden of Eden, literally in our backyard, right out here. Fresh produce grown for the Cardi Food Pantry. Amazing, dedicated folks there. Our church has a long history with the food pantry. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it was started within the walls of our church and expanded from there. Our church sponsors them not just with donations, but financially as well. Baby Grace is an organization who's dedicated to sharing God's love and grace with young families through material and emotional and spiritual support. We had some folks help go lead their egg hunt at Easter. We regularly have uh, donations given for diapers and formula and all sorts of stuff. And I thought about whether or not to go here, but I'm going to. You know, sometimes if people say, well, if the church, if Christians are so pro-life, how come they don't help young families? We do. And I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. Amazingly dedicated people to that ministry at our church. Carney Schools, we partner with them through a program called Shoes That Fit. Now, as a person who wears a size 15, I know that proper footwear is important, especially when you're in elementary school and middle school. Not just for your comfort, but kids know if your shoes are goofy. And so the school district calls up our church. There's a network of people who get kids what they need. It's that simple. Liberty Treehouse is a place for families to say when their loved ones are receiving treatment at Liberty Hospital. So they have amazing accommodations there, and our church provides meals on a regular basis for folks so that they can experience that they're not alone. We have a group dedicated to knit and crocheting, and they make prayer shawls, which are in a basket right out here by the door. And those shawls, which have been prayed over and dedicated for this purpose, are given to people who are homebound or sick, and it's a physical thing they can have to remind them that their church is praying for them and that God loves them. Gave one out just last week. We have a team committed to ministry with those who are incarcerated through a program called Kairos. 
And that gives people in prison an opportunity to have a journey of faith. And Rebuilding Together Clay County is dedicated to rebuilding lives through home repair. I believe just a couple weeks ago we had a picture of some folks up that rebuilt a ramp for someone and gave them the gift of mobility and access to their home. Again, this isn't even everything we could list, but these, there's folks that are connected with these ministries. They're going to be outside in the lobby at a little table. You can find out a little more if something has struck your interest. And let me just say very plainly, when you go write your name down, this is not a life sentence, okay? You're, you're not committing to anything. You're just trying to understand how to find out more information and get connected. These are all people, by the way, who we have to drag up here because they're not interested in the spotlight. And it's my job to help shine a little light on them because the work they do week in and week out, not just when it's my sermon closer, the work they do is amazing. Amazing. I'm so proud to be associated with a church like this. And so friends, there's no shortage of opportunities to be for your world. Infinite choices. But don't let not being able to solve all the problems in the world paralyze you from starting somewhere. Sometimes following Jesus means staying home. Let's demonstrate that we have the best interests of the world at heart as we help meet people's needs and share the story of how much Jesus has done in our lives. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that both challenges and encourages us. God, we don't know this man's name, but we know that you do. And we thank you for the episode in his life that is worthy of retelling thousands of years later. That he was suffering, that you provided what was necessary for him, and that he was sent back home. And that through his faithfulness, many more heard of your amazing love. God, help us to follow that pattern. In a world where the choices of where to start and what to do can feel astounding and discouraging, help us to step forward in faith, even if that means staying home. God, help give us the perception to understand the ways that we can show people that we are for them and that you are for them as a God who loved the world so much that he sent his only son for our sake. It's in Christ's name that we pray all these things. Amen.